Uh, I'm going to read for us uh, our passages today. Uh, I want to introduce uh, Jeremiah chapter 31 to you with a, the slightest bit of introduction here. Um, uh, we have two very passages. Uh, on, on the one hand, we're going to read from Jeremiah, which uh, requires some context. And then on the other hand, we're going to read from uh, 1 John uh, chapter 1, uh, which uh, is, it kind of speaks for itself. The context, however, of Jeremiah gives it, in my opinion, uh, a little more like down-to-earth grit to it. Um, Beth mentioned going to Israel, and one of the things that the trip to Israel did for me is it gave me uh, a sense of uh, what the grit of everyday life was like for those folks. And when I read passages like Jeremiah 31, uh, I think we, uh, well, we can probably spiritualize it if we want, but my goal is, and what I would hope as I read it for you, uh, is that actually you make it quite uh, personal and quite, quite real, because these are real events that happened to real people in real time. And the context goes like this, is, is Jeremiah is speaking to a people who, who is in exile. Uh, they have been torn from their land uh, and forced uh, to head east to, uh, to Babylon. And they, uh, they are something of a hopeless people. And in this passage, Jeremiah is trying to offer them hope, right? And uh, the passage tells uh, of a better time, a better day, when all is not going to be as it currently is for these people. And, and Jeremiah is speaking a word of God to those people, there's a sense in which um, it could quite easily uh, pertain to, to our collective life right now, two years into COVID, right? Or maybe it's your personal life uh, that something's going on that has uh, sent you east to Babylon and you look forward to a better day. Here's what Jeremiah says in 31, 1 through 6. He says, at that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. They shall be my people. Um, I'm going to pause. I, sorry, I can't help it. We're talking about fellowship today, right? And fellowship is about being a certain kind of people together. Uh, but one of the points I want to drive home, and it's, it's evident right here, is that we are a certain kind of people. We are God's people. This is what Jeremiah says. This is what Scripture attests to, Old and New Testament alike, right? This is who we are. This is the name that we wear on our badge. We are God's people. And Jeremiah tells of a day when this indeed will be true. And he goes on. He says, Thus says the Lord, The people who survived the sword... Well, they found grace in the wilderness. They found grace in the wilderness. And when Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you up. And you shall be built, O virgin Israel. I will build you. I will make you a people again. I will reconstitute you. It won't always be like this. 
Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. <laughs> there shall be joy and, and laughter and there shall be times of, of fun and play where people will gather together again and have a good time. This is simply what Jeremiah is saying, right? It will not always be this dour. We will not always sit in the dust, or we will not always sit in the ashes. A day is coming where we will again adorn ourselves with tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit of those vineyards. Some good, old-fashioned grape juice. <clears throat> For there shall be a day when the watchman will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise, and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. Let us go. Let us go on that journey together because we are heading toward the Lord our God. This is what Jeremiah 31 prophesies. This is the day that is coming, the day where a people who are not a people will one day become a people again and they will be the people of God because they are going up to Zion, that is Jerusalem, to become the people of God. New Testament passage, well, it too is about fellowship, only it names it explicitly. And this one is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have received from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. God in heaven, you sent your son Jesus Christ to indeed, as this passage tells us, cleanse us from our sin. That we might be made new, that we might be united with you again. And you sent your Holy Spirit to dwell within us and among us. And Lord, all of this is the fellowship we desire. We desire to be a people of God remade in your image, that we might have fellowship with you and that we might have fellowship with one another. May this be today. Amen. I want to begin in the beginning, but not the beginning, begin I, I mean like before the beginning. And I want to make an argument that before there was ever time, before there was ever space, there was community. There was community. By the way, uh, I shared this with my uh, Sunday school class this morning. Um, the, the word for fellowship is, uh, is from the Greek word uh, koinonia, uh, which then translates into the language 
communio, which is why I'm using the word community. I might use the word communion. I'll definitely use the word fellowship. It all, it all circles together in my mind. And, and the goal today is, in some ways, to, is, to, is to pull this word apart, but also to, to make it bigger than what you think it might be. And so in the beginning, maybe before the beginning, there was fellowship. There was community. And what do I mean? I simply mean that we serve a God who is Trinity, right? We serve a God who is three. We serve a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and God did not become Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at some later point. This is who God has always been. He is both three and he is both one. There is a unity in the diversity of the Godhead. This is a mystery, and I do not plan to try to explain it. Uh, that would be a fool's errand. However, this is scripture, right? And so from the very beginning, we have uh, the Holy Spirit uh, hovering over the waters of the deep in Genesis 1. You remember this? This is how it all opens. And we have God the Father saying words, the word of God, that is, uh, the one who becomes Jesus Christ, it's all there, right in the beginning. You get the Father, you get the word of God, and you get the Holy Spirit. Genesis 1-1, right? And then, an amazing thing happens. The creation happens. But more amazing yet, God makes us in his image. And to read you the passage, this is from uh, Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28. We read this. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so we get this creation in which God creates humanity like himself. And there is a unity and a diversity within the two, right? We have male and female. And the two shall become one. You realize that every person who has existed on this planet exists because two have become one, right? That's how it all works. We require unity and diversity coming together. That's how the whole planet continues to exist time and time again but God doesn't stop there he says be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and he's and he's basically saying broaden this community take the community that is the two and turn it into well everything that we now see fill the earth with it make more because you are designed to be with others and to not be alone God will say that directly to Adam, right? It's not good that you are alone because we are designed to be with others, to be in community. 
God says, I have created you for relationship. I've put you into these pairs, male and female, to show you that you need one another. You literally need one another just to keep the world going. And the love that is shared by your pairing together produces more pairs and more people and more community. This is what we get from the beginning. We get a God who is community creating and designing humanity in community. We get God who is fellowship creating and designing human fellowship. To throw a good fancy word at you, there's a, a, a word, perichoresis. I've used it before. You've probably forgotten it, and that's fine. Uh, and you can forget it after today as well. Uh, the idea, though, is what I want you to remember. The idea goes like this, that, that God in the Godhead is three and one. That's Trinity. That's basic Trinity for you. But the idea of the perichoresis is that each member of the Godhead is pouring uh, himself out for the other, right? So there is a self-giving love that the Father has for the Son and that the Son has for the Spirit and that the Spirit has for the Father, right? And this self-giving love is self-perpetuating. Some people call this the divine dance, the divine dance, And the idea there is simply that the way God functions as the uh, the creator and and the king of this universe is out of self-giving love. And there's no better place that we see this than on the cross itself, right? The ultimate example for us in the way, just what length God is willing to go and, and to demonstrate his own self-giving love. He gives himself up completely for his creation, for you and for me, for humanity, and for the world that we redeemed, transformed. This perichoresis, or this divine dance, or this self-giving love, then should be transferred over into our lives, right? So if we truly are made in the image of God, well then we too should be people who are living out of self-giving love on a regular basis as just part of who we are. However, something happened, didn't it, right? The, the fall happens. Uh, Adam and Eve, who, who are together in the garden in perfect unity, uh, They eat of the tree, and then ever since, we've been trying to get back to that former state of things. And in our fallen nature, we do not love as well as we should. We certainly do not love in a perichoretic sort of way, in this self-giving love kind of way. At least we don't do it naturally. I imagine, um, for those of you who are married, uh, you've had conversations with your spouse at some point about who's doing more work in the, in the marriage, right? Shake, shake your, just very carefully though, shake your head if that's true. Very carefully. Uh, 
I certainly have, we have, um, and, uh, it, and it's always, it always goes like this, right? Like, I feel like I'm doing 70% of the work here, and uh, you're, you're, you're doing like 25%. Uh, and then where's the rest of the 5%, you know? Uh, but then it will come back that it turns out she feels like she's doing 70% of the work and that I'm doing 15%. And, um, and so the point being is that there's this sense of injustice, right? That the giving, it feels like I'm giving more, right? That I would submit to you is something that every single marriage wrestles with. And why? Why would every single marriage wrestle with this? Because despite the fact that we are indeed made in God's image, we are fallen. And the self-giving love that should be willing to give over the 100%, right, is now really concerned about that extra percent that we are indeed giving, or maybe not, right? I want to read 1 John 1, 5 to 7 again. And I want to just kind of pause on what I believe John is trying to get at in this. Because I think what has happened is there's two breaking points that, uh, that need to be mentioned. And I'll just say it ahead of time. The one is humanity has been broken from God, right? And then the other is that humanity has been broken from other humanity, And there are two fellowships that need to be restored. And the one is our fellowship with God, and then the other is our fellowship with each other. And we see it very clearly in 1 John 1, 5 to 7. It goes like this. This is the message we have heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God, and there it is, like we're, we're making this claim that through Jesus we have fellowship with God, if that's what we say, but we walk in darkness, then we're liars, and we don't practice the truth. Now you might expect John to continue on with this fellowship with God at this point, but he doesn't. He pivots. And he says this, he says, but if we walk in the light, which is what we should be doing, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Oh, I thought we were talking about fellowship with God. Well, we indeed were, and now suddenly we're talking about fellowship with one another. And for John, the author of this epistle, he he pulls these two things together. That to have fellowship with one another in a way that is, uh, that is uh, divinely ordained, it also assumes a fellowship with God, a walking in the light, as 1 John puts it. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John tells us what Jeremiah was prophesying about. He tells us that broken relationships with God are able to be fixed. And that union with God is indeed possible. And John tells us that broken relationships with one another 
they too are able to be fixed, and that union with each other is also possible. And he uses these two interchangeably. Union with it all is, is possible. But he's are you walking in darkness? And that's the test for both. It's the test for are we, are we in union with God and are we in union with one another? It's there. The answer's just simply no. Some light needs to be shined in there somehow. I uh, want to come back to the idea of, of marriage uh, as an example of what uh, fellowship looks like. I think it's uh, perhaps the most powerful example uh, that we can have, uh, if, certainly through history uh, and uh, in our own personal lives. If, if you are married, uh, you will understand this in a way that if you are not married, don't worry, I still think you can you can understand uh, what's happening here. Because in a marriage, you are uh, <laughs> intentionally choosing to unify yourself with one person for the rest of your lives, right? There is in that marriage, to go back to what I was saying at the beginning, a unity and a diversity held together. My wife and I, if you know us both, we are nothing alike. <laughs> and yet, we are men one body, right? One body. Oneness. I, I think it uh, is intended to do something to you. It's intended to transform you. This is what good marriage does. It transforms you. It, it changes you over the course of your lifetime into a person that is more sanctified, right? I, I had the pleasure uh, and honor of, um, of doing the wedding for my sister a number of years ago now. And I remember sitting there and I... And, um, when I do uh, ceremonies, I, I don't like to preach long. So uh, Paul and Aaron, I, I will have the pleasure to, to marry uh, this year. Uh, I look forward to it. And they said, you know, should we expect a long service? And, and the answer is no. I, I don't, I, I, my homilies are indeed uh, quite short. Uh, and I want to read uh, to you just a little bit uh, of what I said there. Uh, it's, it's quite short. Uh, because I think it has everything to do with what I believe fellowship is truly about. And I think the analogy or the metaphor, whatever you want to call it, of marriage then applies to the broader body of Christ. Because just to kind of give away the ending of it all, the body of Christ is unity in diversity as well. We are meant to be one body. Scripture attests to this again and again and again. But we are not meant to be one thing, not one foot, one eye. Paul relishes in the differences that exist in the body of Christ. And yet, and yet, we are meant to be one thing. 
And what happens when you bring diversity into a unity? Well, sparks begin to fly, don't they? Uh, In some good ways and also some bad ways. And so this is what I said. I, I said the unique union of marriage, well, it has the power both to bring you to the brink and to save you from it ten times over. And if I can give a word to its power, that word is it's transformation, which I do believe is the goal of the Christian life as well, not just the married life, but of this life. We are meant to be transformed back into the image of God, the image we were created in. The substance that is marriage is a combustible one that has the capacity to create angels and demons. In the hands of the wrong person, marriage can literally transform an otherwise genteel soul into a raving lunatic. I told my sister this. I I warned her. (laughs) And unlike any other relationship you will have, the marriage relationship can show you what a lunatic you already are. And if it hasn't for you, then you're in trouble. I know my own relationship has shown me how crazy I am. I can give you an example from this morning. I woke up extra early because I knew I had, this is unbelievable, uh, I had to teach the Sunday school class and then preach this service, right? And so I thought, well, I'm going to get up extra early and make sure that I'm prepared. I get up and I begin to look for my computer and my computer is not where I I normally store my computer. And I kid you not, I spent 45 minutes going around my whole house trying to find my computer so that I could then prepare for this morning. And And I'm going through the, I mean, it Finally, I go into my wife's, uh, back into the bedroom twice, (laughs) and the second time she awakes and she says, what are you doing? I say, I can't find my computer. And uh, she says, you put it behind the couch. I was like, oh. (laughs) And I go back out, and sure enough. That's how my mind works, right? It was right there. She knew exactly where it was, and I had no clue where it was. I I was searching for 45 minutes. I'm crazy. And my marriage has taught me that, right? I gave my sister three, uh, three metaphors of what marriage can be like. And I would submit to you that the church and fellowship, when done right, can do the same thing. Marriage is a mirror. It allows us to see our true selves. The honesty of a spouse is unlike that of any other person. And while sometimes this honesty is hard to handle, it is the same honesty that provides space for transformation, for becoming a fuller version of oneself, right? That is what a good marriage can do. It can be that mirror that we need. And so can a good community, a good fellowship, a good church, a safe place 
to be honest with one another, right? And to hold that mirror up to others, but also to ourselves. Marriage can also be a spotlight. It can be a mirror, but it can be a spotlight. And this actually fits quite well with this 1 John passage in the light and the darkness. And it shines its, its brightness into the darkness of our lives, into the darkness of our soul, and it exposes us for the heroes and the frauds that we are. And it is this light that raises a flag to just how much transformation means. That spotlight of a close relationship, whether it's marriage, whether it's a church relationship, whether it's a family relationship, it can shine a spotlight into your life to demonstrate to you just what a hero you are, and no one's ever told you that before. And it might shine a spotlight into those dark places too, showing you just how much work is left to be done. And lastly, marriage. Marriage is a probe. (laughs) It manages to seek out and to find everything we hate about ourselves, even things we didn't know we hated, and put them on display for our spouse to see. But sometimes that same probe, it finds gems within us. Gems that were hidden and that were tucked away by a lifetime of pain or ignorance, buried treasure, waiting for the right person to come along and to discover within you. That, that is what a powerful relationship can do. It's the person who comes along and sees in you what you never saw in yourself before. That's what the fellowship can do. That mentor figure in your life, that person you look up to, who says to you, you know what? You're really good at that, right? You're really good at that. You should consider pursuing that. That could change somebody's life. Of course, in Scripture, marriage is not the only institution where the joining of two people is described. The church, as I've already said, is described as as one body with one head, that is Jesus Christ. And in it, we have unity and we have diversity. And the two stand side by side. And to read from 1 Corinthians 12 one more time, Paul says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. And in this way, unity and diversity are held together. And we must remember this as a church. We must remember that we must allow space for people to be who they truly are. I don't like the phrase, you be you, (laughs) because it comes along with uh, all this other baggage. 
and I, and I don't even necessarily like the phrase, you know, I love you for who you are. But in the best renderings of those two phrases, here's what I hear and what I think we should all take away from them is that I'm different from Jim Hempstead, who is different from Alex Roth, who is different from Paige Turner, who is different uh, from Adam Yingling, who is different from everybody else, right? We all have our differences. And what we want to do here in the fellowship, as we join these, this body together into one thing, is to give space for our differences to be allowed and celebrated. And in that way, Jim, you be you. <laughs> we want that, right? This is, this is what we want. We want to celebrate the diversity of our humanity together. It is difficult, however. In fact, it's, it's very difficult. Maybe impossible, frankly. Uh, the diversity often rubs against one another, doesn't it? And the ways in which we're different really can annoy each other. Uh, I think you should prepare for that. But the annoyances and the, the, the rubbing that is part of the transformation process, if you've ever done anything worth doing in life, you know there's some difficulty to it. You know there's some trial, some tribulation, and then you get to the end of it all, and you say, you know what? That was worth it. That's what we're doing here. That's what our church should be. When we talk about being a fellowship, when we talk about being a community, when we talk about being a family, we talk about joining together as one with many different parts. We need to make space for our differences and provide a safe, trusting environment for you to be who you are. to remind us of where we came from and to end on a high note here. The goal of everything is transformation. I truly believe this. The goal of all of this uh, is, is as we gather together as a church that we be transformed back into that original image and forward into the image of Christ who teaches us what it means to be fully human. And if you think that being transformed into the image of Christ is, is something like stodgy or, or uptight, well, I would submit to you two things. The first is think of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Think of the, the love and the joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And who doesn't want to be that kind of person, right? Who doesn't want to be that kind? That, that sounds like balm to my soul. It sounds like what I strive to be. And second, I would remind you that Jesus' first uh, miracle was at a wedding in Cana where he turned water into wine and had a really good time with his friends. And I do think that a large part of being a community, of being in fellowship with one another, is just having fun. 
learning to play together, learning to laugh together, as Jeremiah puts it, shaking the tambourines and dancing the dance of the merrymakers. I've thrown a lot at you. Turns out there's a lot to, to being in a fellowship together. In my prayer for South Run Baptist Church is that this be a journey we participate on for a long time to come. And that the diversity that's in this room right now find a way to become a unity. A unity that makes each and every part of us even better than we thought we ever were. That makes us all more and more together into the image of God. Let's pray. God, you love us dearly. We know this because you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. You gave us an opportunity to be transformed through the power of the in us. Lord, may we take full advantage of that Holy Spirit. May we invite you again and again and again into our hearts and lives that we might be changed into your image. And God, as we gather together, whether it's on Sundays, whether it's on Monday nights, whether it's on Wednesdays, or whenever it is, the body of Christ gathering together in the fellowship, unity in diversity, I pray, Lord, I pray that as iron sharpens iron, we sharpen one another, that we help each other, that we hold the mirror up, that we are the probe, that we uh, are for others and our own selves a source of transformation. And we do so in a way that is loving and kind and offers space for each of us to be who you created us to be in all of our differences. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.